Bald Men on Campus, a new ESPN podcast hosted by Jay Billis, LaFonza Wellis, and Seth Greenberg is coming out now. These ESPN basketball personalities give you an all-access pass inside the world of college basketball, talking to the biggest names in the sport. That's Bald Men on Campus. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Well, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday evening. Joining me for the first time on the podcast is our brand new ESPN.com uh, Chicago-based writer, Jamal Collier. How you doing, Jamal? Doing well, man. Happy to be here. So you've been with us for what, about uh, five, four or five weeks now? Something like that. You, uh, Jamal joined us from the Chicago Tribune. He was covering the Bulls. And uh, Interstate 94 is going to be Jamal's best friend because he's covering the, basically the, a lot of bulls and bucks. Um, it, it was, it was, so it was fine. You know, I'm right by the highway, so it's an easy trip. But I made a mistake. I went, I asked the people for some recommendations in Milwaukee, great food city. And uh, the bucks ended a practice at like maybe almost like 3.15. I learned I should have just gotten my butt on the road and gotten back to Chicago. So I was like, you know, I want to go get a burger and, and check out something and didn't, didn't get uh, on the road until like four o'clock. And then I said traffic for two hours and 45 minutes for that you know, barely 90 minute driving thing. So uh, yeah, I learned real quick about that yeah. drive. Well, this is now like a, a major hub in the NBA because the Bulls uh, look, look, well, they're off to a great start. So they're playing in Toronto tonight when this podcast posts, we'll see. Um, I've talked about this on the pod before, Jamal, the stat that was like the most amazing stat of the summer to me was when Zach Levine won uh, four straight games with Team USA. It was his first four-game winning streak since he was at UCLA. So this could be, I'm probably putting some sort of jinx on it. The, the people who are listening will have the opportunity to know whether he got that fourth win, whether he experienced his first four-game NBA winning streak um, in Toronto. Uh, but he is off to a tremendous start and, um, the bulls after their off season makeover are off to a tremendous start. Um, one of the things that in the, in the early, in the preseason, I talked to some scouts who saw the bulls play. They were surprised at how they looked like they had gelled how for a team that had a whole bunch of new players, I'm not sure how many they had, but for a team that had a whole bunch of new players, how they um, looked like they were already really playing well together. Um, what we, what, did, what did, are you surprised at all that they've gotten off to this kind of start? What, what did you think about them over these last couple of weeks when you've been able to be around them? Yeah, I, you know, I agree that it, um, it's three games, right? And you know, the, 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 the competition is not in Detroit twice without Kate Cunningham. The Pelicans without Zion, um, but I I am surprised at how just active they look defensively. I think that everybody when you look at that group and the way it looks, as you talk about the new players, I mean, from the roster that started last year, that Kobe White is not even playing right now; he's injured, and Patrick Williams. That's it. That's all that's left over. And to put this many new pieces, and I still think the offense got to trying to figure out exactly what they what their identity is going to be and just felt it a little bit uh like kind of your turn my turn on Zach and Demar. I also think that's gonna be um a 
little bit of their identity too. It's like they, you know, Billy staggered those guys a lot um, to, to let some of back play with the benches sometimes and Mark play with the benches sometimes. But, uh, you know, Lonzo, I think it's just been incredible for them in the way that, that they've been able to sort of run up and down the floor and you know, outlet the ball out to those guys and, and, and really just getting them, in, getting them the ball in space. Uh, and that, at least two of those games, didn't even score in the first quarter and the Bulls were up by like 20 points or up by double digits. Uh, going into that, and that's just not a thing we would have seen last year. I think that that's the thing that's kind of stood out to me as well is that you know the Bulls, even with the competition being what it was, they'd have found a way to go one and two, or found a way to struggle against these teams, and, and they really you know, taking care of business against teams that they're more talented at and better at. And, and you mentioned that Zach winning streak, but they also haven't. This is they haven't been over 500 this 80 points in a season since March 2017. Whoa. That's a, not not like, even one and oh. Not even one and oh. <laughs> not even when they lost their season opener every year since uh, Jimmy and, and D Wade and the weird free alpha Uh so I understand that people don't know how to act the team three and oh right now because it's just it's become a foreign concept right now for both teams. Well, one of the things that people were wondering about was what the, how their spacing was gonna be because when you invest in DeMar DeRozan, you think, well, that guy doesn't shoot threes, and this is um you know, this is their, uh, you know, the, the era you want guys who can stretch the floor, et cetera. Now, look, we are one week into the season. It is, it is not even small sample size, but um, in the first three games, they, they start the week ranked third in the NBA in three point percentage. So look, it's three games. It could be a hot streak. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but um, they've shot the three pointer. Well, I mean, led by Zach, Zach is shooting 45, again, going into this game tonight in Toronto. Zach shooting 45% from three so far, um, you know, putting up, you know, huge points. DeMar is being DeMar, an efficient scorer. Um, but, uh, you know, their offense, as you mentioned, um, you know, certainly not, you know, they're not being like very potent offensively. They're not putting up 135 points, but they're being very efficient offensively, shooting the, um, the three-pointer well. And, um, you know, doing a good job of getting to the line and shooting free throws very, very well. They, they're shooting 83% at the line. I'm going to tell you something. There are 42% from three, which that won't last. But if you shoot well from the line and you shoot well from three-point range, um, you're going to be a super efficient offensive team. And if they can do that, they are going to be uh, a team to, to be dealt with. And I thought one of the things that was a little underrated about DeMar is the, getting to the line. The Bulls were dead last in the league last year in free throw attempts to the team. Uh, and they also were just not turning the ball over as much. They were also bottom five in turnovers last year. And this is where you see Lonzo and, and getting the ball out of Zach's hands and not asking him to do, do everything. Um, and, and like you said, the offense, I think, is still – I don't even think they really hit exactly what their peak or what, what I think a lot of people thought was to be a top ten offense. And I think there's still some room for those guys to grow and to, to figure out exactly how they want to play off each other. And um, you know, their bench, there's no scoring off the bench right now. Yeah. Um, well, that is <laughs> sad to say that is kind of their mandate for this year. Let's not be a disaster on defense, everybody. Okay, break. One, two, three, break. No disaster on defense. And, you know, Patrick Williams is going to play um, – you know, he is going to have to play a big role in that because they're going to rely on him uh, to be that type of player. Um, 
you know, because Edwin Alonso is expected to, you know, hold his own there. His defense has gone up and down. And then, and then a guy who has been pretty good for them so far in Alex Caruso. But before we talk about that, I just want to say something about free throw shooting. Through the first week of the NBA, the big thing that everybody is talking about in the league is how the free throws have gone down. The, the league on general heading in, you know, one weekend is averaging 19 free. Th- it's, the teams are averaging 19 f- free throws a game. That's down like three or four from a year ago uh, each way. So you're looking at, you know, four to eight to six less shooting fouls a game. And so um, the key here is that the officials are not calling that uh, the, you know, the, the trap, you know, the, the, the traps, the, you know, where they're trying to get guys up in the air, the rip throughs were eliminated a while ago, but um, you know, James, you know, one of the big things was circled about the first week is that James Harden's averaging three free throws a game. DeMar DeRozan quietly, maybe not quietly, but DeMar DeRozan has always been a guy who has gotten to the line a lot. In fact, I talked to him about it a few years ago and he said that he and James Harden, who are Los Angeles buddies, you know, they grew up in LA together, have known each other since they were kids. They often will communicate with each other on a night to night basis. Like DeMar was telling me like, he'll go in and he'll, you know, if he, if he played, he'll go look at the box score. And he was like, Oh man, James got 13 trips to the line tonight. I only got eight uh, or vice versa. He'd get like 16 and, and Harden would get 12 and they would, you know, they would have like a little competition about it. But DeMar didn't have the reputation. I mean, I'm not saying DeMar doesn't have his tricks, but DeMar didn't have the reputation of being the guy who kind of, you know, used smoke and mirrors to get to the line. Um, DeMar averaged seven free throws a game two years ago. DeMar averaged seven free throws a game last year. What is DeMar averaging so far this year? Seven free throws a game. So, again, we're talking about minute sample sizes, but um, – in an era where it's harder to get those free throws, the fact that DeMar sort of gets them, I don't want to use the word legitimately, because I mean, James Harden is getting, he's, he's hitting, he's getting blows to the body. He's generating the blows, but um, th- there may actually be a little bit of a edge that develops for DeMar because his free throws might remain high because of the way he gets them. And that could be a thing for the Bulls too. If DeMar can stay that efficient on offense, because no, he is not going to be great defensively. Uh, he needs to get it done offensively. And right out of the gates, you know, he's averaging here. There he is. He's shooting. He's scoring 21 a game, you know, hitting his free throws, creating assists. He's, you know, averaging four assists a game. And, um, you know, just in general, they move the ball really well as a team. Billy Donovan has him doing that. So, you know, watching I, Jamal, I would keep an eye on that DeMar free throws. If he keeps that number at seven, despite this, as everybody else has come down, that means that seven will feel like it was nine, like a year ago or something like that. It was such an, an area of weakness for this team. They just never got to the line. They never generated easy points like that. And, you know, as you mentioned, it just, it adds an extra element to your offense. And I think DeMar is, you know, I don't know kind of what your thoughts are on the trade and, and the, the move in general to get them, but to get him before the, uh, before the season started. But, you know, I can see how, just not having, not putting the entire burden of the of all the offense and all the scoring on Zach. But again, watching this team the last couple of years, if Zach went scoreless for a quarter or you know had an off half or whatever, uh, they were buried. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So I mentioned Caruso before. Uh, Caruso is making all kinds of plays early on in his Bulls tenure. He's only averaging eight points a game. But in those first three games, he had nine steals. He's averaging three and a half assists per game. Um, he hasn't got as many rebounds. He's thrown down some, um, terrific dunks, um, shooting the three pointer very well, defending. Well, this is exactly the type of player that the bulls wanted when they, um, when they signed him, which was a guy who'd come off the bench, play multiple dispositions, defend and make plays. And I realize we're early in it again, but they have to be happy with what they're getting from, uh, Alex Caruso so far. Uh, they're not just happy. The fans are apparently thrilled. They got MVP chance, like loud <laughs> MVP chance, <laughs> multiple times at the United Center. Uh, this, this, you know, over the past. And your week. thoughts on that were uh, just perplexed. <laughs> I mean, it was. It's been two games, and like you said, he, he's definitely made some really impressive plays. Yeah, but I was like, I don't know if this is an MVP. Like, it's hard to. It feels hard to go to cult favorite when like you just stepped on the floor <laughs> for the team. Uh, but he's been great. I mean, you know, him and Lonzo both are just, it feels like they get their hands on everything uh, defensively. And, and, you know, Crusoe, you mentioned the steal numbers have been there, but it's so many like tip passes, it's deflections, it's, you know, knocking the ball out of somebody's hands and just messing up your rhythm. They've just been, they've been pests, you know, uh, in the backcourt. And I think it's covered up for some of the other defensive, you know, players and players on the floor, we may have some defensive weaknesses and, uh, you know, I think Billy actually done also a really good job of sort of incorporating that with the rotation to keep Caruso, Lonzo, you know, Javante Green has got off the bench as a, a real good energy defensive guy. Uh, Patrick Williams, as you mentioned earlier, is going to play a bunch of minutes and, and you know, carry a big part of the defensive load. And, uh, you know, again, the, the thing that right now they're in a, they're a top five defense uh, in the in the short the couple of game sample, but uh that's he that's been about as well as as, as you could expect it you know or, or they could have realistically hoped for this team uh and i really think like caruso and lonzo have just been the you know been at the lead of that charge yeah they they have 15 between the two of them they had 15 steals in the first three games um <laughs> that's the definition of defensive playmaking now look um it's not going to stay that way. And they'll probably, <laughs> now that we've talked about their defense, they'll probably give up 130 tonight <laughs> in Toronto. But yeah. um, the thing about Caruso, I, I just, I don't understand why the Lakers were not 
just keen on keeping him. I really don't. And you know, the, the word around the Lakers was like, they decide, like, it wasn't like they saw what Chicago's offer was and were like, yeah, we're going to pass. Like they had just, they had, they went into free agency from what I understand, they went into free agency saying, we're going to let Caruso go. We're going to go a different direction. And, um, you know what? I mean, look, that happens. I mean, you know, you, you know, you, sometimes you let role players go, you don't want to pay them. Um, but I was surprised because with the way that they structured their team with after their Westbrook trade, which they yeah. did basically on draft day. So they knew coming into free agency, what they were going to plan, what they needed. I thought having an athletic young um, high energy perimeter player would be valuable, but they just, for whatever reason, they just didn't value him. They, they want to let him go. And so his contract, he's making $8.6 million in the first year of this deal. So that's, you know, less than the uh, mid-level exception slightly. So um, had the Lakers signed him, if they had, they just matched it. How had they, um, I had Bobby Marks, run those numbers for me. And I appreciate it as always had they just said to Caruso, what's your best offer from Chicago? Oh, it's this offer. I, I can't remember what it was four years and like 37 million give yeah. or take. Maybe it was a mid-level offer, but right about the mid-level. Um, uh, if the bulls had signed him to that, it would have cost them an extra $28 million dollars not the Bulls, the Lakers. Had the Lakers signed them to that, it would have cost them an extra $28 million in salary cap space. And that is why, ultimately, I believe they didn't sign him. They just didn't want, you know, with what they were paying, they didn't want to spend all that extra money. But there were ways they could mitigate that, you know, because um, they signed a guy like Kendrick Nunn to a $5 million deal. You know, if you sign Caruso, maybe you wouldn't have to sign none. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, it still would have been more money. I think I asked Bob, you know, I asked Bobby about that. And Bobby said that in that case, it would have been, um, an, an extra 10 million in tax. So that move signing Caruso at that number and then not signing none would have saved, saved in quotes, $18 million. Um, but whatever they they evaluated it differently, and I just I just feel like uh, Caruso made a lot of sense for them. And and right off the bat, he is doing in in Chicago what you see the Lakers needing, which is that athletic playmaker um, coming off the bench. So um, I also wanted to ask you about Patrick Williams. To me, this is a yeah. this is a swing guy for them. Um, we kind of know what DeMar DeRozan is. Zach Levine is setting the tone that he is going to be um, an all-star and, you know, uh, an all NBA candidate, which is very interesting because uh, since the bulls did not give him an extension, if he, be, if he gets on the all NBA team, he is eligible for the Supermax and the $200 million contract. So watching that and talking about that is something we're going to be watching for the next few months. Um, but we know what we're going to get out of some of these players. Uh, even Vucevic, um, you know, Vucevic is putting up a double-double every night. I mean, that's yeah. what we expect from him. He's not scoring as much as he did in Orlando, but, you know, he's, you know, he's putting up numbers. Patrick Williams' production, and I don't mean just scoring, although his scoring would help. Patrick Williams, to me, you know, they're asking him to play four. 
Um, they're asking him to defend some of the best players in the league. Um, and I know he was slow down early on, um, Jamal by ankle injury, but, um, you know, what are you seeing from Patrick and, and where do you think, what do you think his ceiling is having watched him these last couple of years? Oh man, Patrick is, uh, I, I, I kind of go back and forth a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think you definitely see the upside I mean, you talk about him playing four. He, he's played some, he's been the backup five, um, mm-hmm. a little bit in the last game. And I think that they, uh, you know, Vooch actually, again, people will know this, the answer to this already, but Vooch is, was questionable for that game in Toronto with, uh, it was sick. And, um, man, there's a chance that they may just start Patrick at five or, or go really small or something. If, if Vooch is out, um, definitely think he'll, he'll play some more minutes. And Billy kind of just talked about like, put him in some of those pick and rolls and, and almost just like force him into the action, you know, and, and get him running to the rim and, and, you know, get him playing off the ball. Like maybe that will, be what unlocks a little bit more of his scoring potential. See, yes, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. What would <laughs> this is how I read him saying that? Like, we we have to kind of poke him with a stick. Yep. To say, Patrick, you're this crazy freak athlete. Go be yep. athletic. Uh, is not, that? Is it, yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not necessarily his. Now he's very much in, in. Like you know, first of all, he's he's one of the youngest players in the NBA still. Probably after this draft last year, he just turned 20 in August. Uh, you know, and I, it's not his natural instinct, right? He's very much a, let me do what I can to plug in and help the team win and wants to defend and, and sort of wants to just like fit in. And like you said, when you have all of these accomplished scorers, 20 point scorers that have been in the league for so long, it's very easy for him to get lost in the shuffle. And you can see it already in these first three games where offensively he, it's weird. It's almost like he stands in, it's like, it's like you stand in the corner to shoot threes, but that, that would be great. But he also doesn't probably shoot threes, uh, you know, enough, or at least unleashes it enough uh, that the team would like. I, I, I'm kind of curious to see what it's, what it's going to take for him to really be more aggressive on offense. Um, you know, I think that they are willing to give him some room to grow and some room to to figure it out. Um, but I, you know, I like the idea of, of Billy or somebody kind of just nudging him in and saying, "Hey, you know, we it's great for you to defend. It's great for you to, to plug in where you can." But um, you know, number four pick in the draft with all the, the tools that he has, uh, you know, when he goes to the rim, it's the thing is when you, when I see it, when I see him go to the rim or I see him make a move, uh, and shoot around or practice or whatever, uh, it's there. Like he, he definitely has the, the, the talent for it. Um, but just, you know, once it gets into the game that, that doesn't, hasn't really been you know brought out for long stretches of, of time. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think. I don't see this leap happening this year necessarily. Mm. Um, you know, that's a just, fair assessment. That's a fair it, assessment. And, and I think just, you know, part of that, I, I kind of wonder if I could get some, you know, sit the bulls front office down and, 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 you know, make them take some truth serum, you know, if what they did this off season and the win now moves they've made since the trade deadline, even and drafting Patrick, you know, at 19, one of the youngest players in the draft, like those two moves just didn't line up to me. You know, Patrick seems like his peak is going to really hit in the next, you know, two, three, four years even. And, you know, maybe that's the idea of you can win now and then if Patrick really makes a leap in a couple of years, that what sort of elevates you. You know, people kind of say, well, what you always move to be the fourth seed. And maybe this is the move that elevates you to, to be a real contender in the East that Patrick can can take a next step. But, um, you know, I, I do wonder if that's sort of asking a lot for him to, to go from, you know, barely averaging nine to 10 points a game last year uh, and, 
you know, somewhere around six or seven shots and all of a sudden being a real, real option on this team offensively. I, I just think that I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see anything that looks like that uh, out of him this year. Well, we'll know a lot more about the bulls in about uh, seven to 10 days because their schedule, we keep talking about them being three and zero, but it's been a favorable schedule. They played the Pistons twice and the Pelicans and the Pelicans right now without Zion, frankly, they're not a strong team. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if any, I don't know if those teams have a win. I don't know if the, do the Pistons have a win yet? I'm not. Uh, no, they've only played the Bulls twice. Okay. So no wins yet amongst those teams, but starting um, this Saturday coming up, they, they host the jazz. Then they go to Boston and play the Celtics. Then they have a home and home with the 76ers and then they play the nets. So that five game stretch between next Saturday and the following Monday, if the Bulls come through that stretch and they're still, they're still their record still looks still looks uh, good and promising, um, I think you know they'll be you know worth really taking a better look at and you know because I don't think they played that difficult of a preseason schedule. Not that the preseason matters that much, but um, uh, it's important to uh to you know mention that schedule aspect of it but again when you haven't been over 500 at all in four years i don't care who you play you come out three and oh it's worth noting especially after they invested so much in the offseason and that's what hey chan mvp for whoever you want if you're gonna <laughs> if it's been right. four years let them have it. <laughs> everybody especially the way the bears so. have been playing yeah it's, um, it's basketball season real quick around here <laughs> right um so okay, let's let's head north um, to the Bucks, who I know you've already spent a lot of time around. I know you've gotten to know Giannis a little bit. Um, Giannis recognized there was a new ESPN guy on the uh, on the team, and uh, uh, how is it? What what have your first impressions of being around Giannis? Have, what have they? It's just yeah, everything that you see, right? Like a of a, a, a guy of. You know, and I guess in other press conferences or, or the, 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 the Chick-fil-A video, like that, that's him. Like, uh, you know, that first day or that I, I got there, it's very much like, uh, who are you? Are you going to be around? Uh, and then when <laughs> right. I came back around the second, you know, then you're back around. He's like, oh, okay, you actually are here. Um, and, you know, it just takes kind of like a, a minute to figure out who everybody is around him or who's asking him questions. And I, I do, I do have enjoyed the, uh, you know, the, the, the banter with him, he's just a, a sort of a very pleasant, uh, just a pleasant person to be around. And it's, it's nice to see the championship and sort of all the, the, the accolades that he's sort of accrued has, has not changed or taken away of any of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, when they got off, they've gotten off to a great start. Um, yeah. We talked on the pod about it last week, you know, they're kind of um, somewhat under the radar a little bit because, uh, so much attention elsewhere for various reasons. Um, but they've gotten off to a great start despite being a little banged up because uh, Drew Holiday um, has had some issues early on. Um, uh, Brooke Lopez is dealing with a back issue. Um, Bobby Portis has been dealing with a hamstring issue. And <laughs> those are key players for them. And then Dante DiVincenzo is still recovering from that ankle surgery. Is there? I haven't seen. Has there been an update at all on his recovery or return yeah, timetable? We we've seen him shooting uh, in practice a little bit and uh, kind of like after practice and running some drills. They've been very vague about an exact date and kind of not really attached a a timeline to it. Um, my guess is that he's still 
still a little bit of a ways away. I don't think he's been like doing any kind of real contact in practice yet. Okay. So my point is they're playing really well and they've already had some, you know, injury adversity. Um, they're playing Monday night uh, against Indiana. Who's uh, an, 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 already had an interesting Indiana's first three games have been overtime games. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with that one. Uh, but um you know, the Bucks obviously came out on opening night, um, had a spectacular performance that went down to Miami and got blown off the court. <laughs> so I don't even know what to make out of that. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, they, you know, regardless of that performance, I can just tell you from looking at them on opening night, they look good to me. Yeah. And uh, Giannis looks good to me. And, you know, they've, you know, last year in the playoffs, their depth was suspect suspect because uh you know Dante DiVincenzo's injury they've made some additions um you know to, to sort of shore them up bringing George Hill back um uh, trading for Grayson Allen who has played you know reasonably well in the first few games um out of the season he's not shooting it great but has played reasonably well um uh they really got kind of an interesting guy um in um Jordan Nawara, uh, who was a guy that I would not have seen. He's a, he's a wing, um, uh, or is it Wara, not Nawara, Wara. Uh, I'm just learning about him. Um, but, uh, anyway, he, um, he was a second round pick, um, last year. I don't remember seeing him play much last year, but he's getting big time rotation minutes for them now. So they look like they're a little deeper than they even were back in the finals. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Yeah, I mean, that's why also I didn't take a whole lot of buy the whole lot into the heat loss. I mean, it was funny. I was trying to figure out my league pass, you know, log in and everything. And uh, I figured it out about halfway through the first quarter. And I was like, oh, well, this game's kind of over. <laughs> this <game's> over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kept doing what I was doing. Um, they, uh, like, you know, you mentioned just the guys at the top, those frontline guys that are missing. But Simi Ojale, who they uh, got in the offseason, has also been out. Um, Rondi Hood's been kind of in and out. So they just really are down, I think, right now to uh, they have 10 healthy guys, including two ways dressed for one of those games. Um, you know, 
that being said, they look really good. And I think that 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 win against Brooklyn to me was enough of a statement. Like, oh yeah, no, we're still the best. We're still the defending champs, right? We're still the team that came off the, the finals. And I think that they're still what's interesting to me about the Bucks is that they still feel like they have so much room to get better despite that. You know, Giannis is obviously a been incredible and and still feels like what he can unlock offensively. And I'm not just talking about the jump shooting or three point shooting, but you know maybe what he can be in the mid range or maybe what he can be, um, you know, on on sort of like you know, jump hooks and floaters and and some of those things. I was running some numbers um, earlier today and and um, you know talking with some of our stats and info people, and he's you know pulling taking a lot more shots off the off the dribble. Um, this year, like ah, some you mid-range discovered shots. our stats and information. Oh yeah, yes, uh, and I love it. I'm going invaluable, to... <laughs> invaluable friends for you. I am going to imbue it, and I use as a lovingly term the nerds, but like the I am going to abuse uh, all <laughs> all this information to tell me what am I seeing and is it real? And, and three games in, I am already uh, wondering what what Yana's spilling off the dribble. I mean, and he uh, and what are they blessing I, you with? Well, the the vol- I think he's just taking a lot more, not a lot more, but he's definitely the volume up on his his outside shots. Uh, you know, I think if we're looking at like twenty percent of his shots are coming from mid range right now, which is up from like ten or thirteen the last two years, uh, and he's shooting thirty five percent right now on jumpers, which is not something he's not done since uh, twenty fifteen. You know, I think that like he seems really committed to working on that part of his game, and I think the Bucks. You know, instead of sort of blitzing the regular season and trying to win 60 games and, and be the number one seed and yada, yada, like it, that, that the approach that they've sort of taken to being like, all right, let's use this almost as a, a lab or whatever to, to figure out how we can be best ready for the playoffs. Very well, I think they want to do both. I think they'd like well, to yes. win 60 games <laughs> and get the number <laughs> right. one seed. But, you know, last year they did yeah. use the regular season to experiment with lineups, experiment with certain sets. They, you know, they, that was something I think that they sort of developed. I think that's something that Mike Budenholzer did last year that he hadn't done before. It may have been even been under protest. Um, <laughs> uh, because, you know, that's the point. Like, go ahead. Yeah. I'm saying, but, you know, Bud has kind of had kind of been known for having great regular seasons, but not having the same level in the postseason. And he addressed that by the way he went about it. And so, it you know, <laughs> cut to the chase. It worked. <laughs> yeah. So and I think, but I think that like you know, after seeing that, and Giannis has, has kind of talked a couple of times about it because I was sort of asking him about after playing that game seven in Brooklyn. You know, do, do, is it important to you now to maybe get the one seed or have a higher seed? You know, he was very. Yeah, I think the idea of like of, of you know working on things that he believes is going to use in the playoffs, and I think that early on at least it very much feels like testing out that shot, testing out that, that, that the pull-up jumper, testing out what he can do in the mid-range. Like, I'm curious to see him explore that during the season and explore, you know, whatever he figured out at the end of the finals and the end of the playoff run last year. Like, how can I make that translate and really have those, you know, have those go-to moves ever to score? Because their offense was still not very good in the playoffs, uh, you know, as you know. So, you know, I, I'm very curious about the Bucs. I'm very interested in just kind of like what other things are they going to be able to add to their, you know, their sort of their toolbox. And, you know, when it comes to postseason time, like how much more dynamic can this team be? Right. And I also feel like, you know, the, a thing with Giannis that, um, you know, that <laughs> – 
you know, kind of, I guess if there's one area of his game, well, I don't want to say one area, but something that he has, you know, been able to increase in, in over his career has become, you know, a playmaker setting up his teammates and stuff. And I, um, you know, his scoring, it's still very, very early, but his scoring is down this year um, so far. But maybe that's because he's sitting out late in games. But, you know, he... Yeah, the Miami game kind of threw a little bit of yeah, that's true. things off as well. But, um, you know, he's... Um, his, you know, his, you know, him looking to set, you know, he's got a, he's got a little bit more diversity on offense, I think. And maybe him looking to continuing to become more of a playmaker in that role also uh, could be good, but um, yeah, I'm gonna, uh, I got a quick plug uh, just that I've, I've got a, a story coming out just about the bucks. Um, I guess it will be Tuesday morning uh, when this released. And it's sort of just about that, about sort of Giannis's in the books in general, the, the kind of like the quest for repeat and, and sort of what drives you and motivates you after you've already reached the, the top. And uh, you know, I think like hearing Giannis sort of talk about, how he thought maybe initially after you win the finals and everything is everything is okay like you know all, all of a sudden it's the weight lifted off your shoulder and, and I do sort of buy that he's the kind of player that would that did spend the summer and, and would take time after winning that first one to still sort of be in a gym still be in the lab still figuring out what can I add and what can I do and you know thinking about how just that's sort of how the, the great players is NBA's very dynasty driven league right and I don't want to use that word necessarily with the Bucks just yet, but you know that sort of push of like, okay, yes, he won one, but what else? You know, is he adding to his game or such? Is did you talk to him about to that? I did, I did, and he, uh, you know, again, he, I, I think he, one of the like one of the more interesting quotes that he had, uh, I think after the ring night, where he talked about how winning has changed, uh, what winning changed for him and for the team. And he, uh, you know, just, he said, I'm, he was like, I'm very happy and not happy just because like he feels happy. It was like, just because everybody else is less stressed out around me, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. before it was always, is, is he going to stay? You know, there's questions about, you know, will Bud be around, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And now like, those are all gone, right? Like they know everybody's signed up, got long-term deals, got their money, um, you know, and, and they can sort of including just, Bud, but and, and Bud, Bud got extended. John yeah, Horst, or, John Horst got, got suspended. Ex- yeah, not suspended, extended. Um, yeah, so I, I think that like you know, and he was just talking about the idea that we're going to be here the next four or five, ten years, and and organizations that normally don't get over the hump that sort of break up. Um, you know, the idea that we're going to be around for a minute, I think, was something that um, you know, if, if it feels like there's going to be any weight off their shoulders or any kind of of, uh, you know, a little ease or confidence for them going into this season. I think it's just that, that all the the questions that they kind of had came into and really were hanging over them those last few years, um, they got an answer to that. And that was, that was obviously a championship. Yeah. And who knows, like, you know, the NBA best laid plans, you never know whether that's actually yeah. going to be true, but I can see why, you know, if you look at their, you know, if you look at the guys, you know, Chris Middleton, 30 in his prime, Giannis yep. 27, maybe not even in his prime yet, maybe like, heading into the, the, his prime, you know, um, drew holiday 31 in his prime, you know, years left in his prime. I mean, um, this is a, you know, age 30, 31, 32, you often see guys really play some of their best basketball. Um, yep. uh, you know, Pat Connaughton, not that he's a core player, but you know, he's 29 has been there for a while. 
uh, you know, Grayson Allen. I don't know if he's going to stick, but he just signed an extension 26. Um, uh, you know, DiVincenzo was in his early twenties. Like, um, you know, those guys, I mean, you can see, you know, I don't think George Hill at 35 or Brooke Lopez at 33, although Brooks under contract, I'm not sure about those guys, but you know, you can see why he's looking around and going, you know, you know, this is our squad. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's obviously played a lot of years with Middleton and he's, you know, he's now, you know, logged a lot of time with, with holiday, you know, when you include the playoffs last year. So I, I can see that. I could understand that comfort level and, you know, that, you know, having that comfort level will free him up to work on other parts and expand other parts when you don't have to, to worry about stuff. Now, historically, you know, I've, I remember talking to Pat Riley about this. Um, you remember the Pat Riley, uh, well, you probably don't, Jamal. I don't know how, I don't want to say how, well, I won't say how old you are unless you want to say, but um, Pat Riley, one of his famous things he ever did was after they won the championship, I think it was in 87, maybe it was 88. Anyway, he came out at the, um, at the uh, parade and said, you know, we're going to do it all again next year. We're going to guarantee he, you know, he guaranteed that they were going to win it the next year. And, and they did, which is why it's memorable. But I remember talking to him about that. And he said that, you know, at that point he had, he had had a couple other um, titles um, under his belt as coach of the Lakers. And when they came back from the previous titles that they won, when they were, uh, you know, under Riley, um, they just didn't have the same, um, they didn't have, you know, maybe they were too comfortable in such a way. So, you know, going back, I'm, I'm sure, you know, so let me see here. Let me get the exact years. So I know. And so they, they won an 87 and 88. So this must've been an 87. He guaranteed it or whatever, but you know, they won an 82 and you know, then they, you know, they kind of came out flat a little bit the next year and then they won an 85 and um, you know, didn't make it back to the finals the next year. And so Riley was sick of that. And so he, he wanted to like put them on edge immediately while they were still drunk on champagne. Um, and it was because Riley, you know, always knew that. And so um, that is a challenge for teams that have achieved their goal is to remain having that edge. And it's a good problem to have, you know, um, but uh, you know, maintaining that, that, that desire is, I think, especially for a team like the bucks who, you know, they were regarded as a championship contender, but nobody, nobody, you know, expected them to win. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think that is going to be a challenge for them. And, and Giannis is going to be the guy who sets the, the, the tone for that. And I think like when you have, and one that, that, that for sure that 87, 88 is before my time. Uh, I am, it's, it's the beginning. Well, of, it's before uh, my time too, but I listened to Pat tell the story. Like I knew, <laughs> Oh yeah, Pat, I remember that vividly. I was in, I was in fourth grade, but I remember Pat. I remember. Yeah. But you know, but you talked about setting that tone and I think Giannis though is, is that kind of, of, you know, leader, that kind of number one on your team that like, you know, he certainly, uh, again, I, I, I sort of very much believe that he's the kind of guy to go back. We've seen it every year, right? Like he comes back with something different or he's trying to do something in his game to sort of take it a next step. Um, and when you have that, uh, and again, one of the things that I kind of allude to a little bit in the piece is just like, you know, looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference contenders and looking at the way that they're sort of imploding from within or imploding maybe too strong, but at least fighting from within, right? what's going on in Philly, what's going on in Brooklyn and such. And like the, the, the Bucks are not going to have any of that. 
you know, their sort of main concern Probably. right now is going to be getting through Probably. most like yes most <laughs> like yes right you don't want to <laughs> that's right two months when uh you have me back on here and you're like hey remember when you said <laughs> right let's go back to the tape <laughs> but you know i think that the bucks you know at least for now like they, they their sort of goal and their priorities right now are, are you know they don't have to worry about sort of all the outside drama and they they got guys who uh the continuity is i think is is worth something and those guys have been playing together and achieving together and, and kind of just went through it together, um, you know, and, and I think they also have got easy bulletin board material, quote unquote, everybody looks for that. Um, it says nobody says we can do it or whatever, but in this case, they may actually have a point here. Like everybody's going to pick somebody else, Brooklyn or the Lakers or whoever else. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, I'm just very curious to see how this how this team responds now that they've they've gotten on top. All right, Jamal. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Hoop Collective. We look forward to having you back many more times in the future. Thank you for listening. We'll be uh, back talking to you guys uh, later this week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.